Welcome back, everyone, to the Artificially Unintelligent Podcast. My name is William, and as always, I'm joined by Nikolai. How's it going? All good. I'm good. What about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the going? I'm standing on the stove. I need to... I, I don't want to say I want to check on it every five minutes, but it's um, standing on the stove and getting better and better by the minute. So, yeah, we for, for you listeners, we were just talking about, like, just some food stuff before Nikolai said it's the best thing you can make. So, yeah, I I must say I kind of agree. I love goulash. It's a, yeah. like anything slow yeah, cooked. It's just it's very simple. I'm no chef, but you know this is one of those dishes that you can just throw everything in there and just let it stand for like a day and just like get better and better. Exactly. Yeah. But um, today is uh, another day for AI, right? Yeah. And today we're basically going to tackle another paper, which is Retrieval Augmented Generation for Knowledge-Intensive NLP Tasks. I think everyone by now has heard about Retrieval Augmented Generation or RAG, which is used like mostly for LLM stuff. And... It's quite, I think it's one of the first papers actually mentioning RAG. And also it already has like a citation count, which is pretty crazy for such a young paper, uh, which is quite impre- impressive, which just illustrates the importance of it already. And also, you know, the significance of uh, the FAIR research lab, like the Facebook AI research lab and what they put out. So this is, of course, one of the... Maybe not now state-of-the-art papers, but it's one of those papers that people just use to cite, basically, when they're working on something like this. But maybe to do a recap, um, what is retrieval augmented generation? So just so that people are with us here. So retrieval augmented generation basically adds an additional combination to a large language model. So basically, you're using a large language model for generating some kind of text, like for example, an answer to a question, but you're prepending another component, which is a retrieval. And that retrieval basically is retrieving or getting additional information that might be necessary for the LLM to yeah. answer the user. Code. Yeah. So there you go. And it's of course, like one of the, one of the techniques that when, when is this paper from? It is from. Let's see, I want to say 2021. So it's been, I mean, since then heavily used, uh, you could say, or at least cited in different sort of studies as a technique. Yeah. And tag is basically shifting where the memory or the facts fall for LLMs. So what REC tries to do is move it from parametric memory, so basically facts stored in the parameter rates, to an external system, which is also called non-parametric. Uh, so it just means it's not stored in the parameters, which is also hopping on quite a trend at the moment because people really try to disassociate these two components in the other lamps. So in the parameter rates at the moment, because the LLMs have so many parameters, they can capture a lot of knowledge. And in this knowledge is basically facts from different documents it has read or it has been trained on. 
but also it captures the linguistic knowledge. So basically it uses this linguistic knowledge to construct new sentences in correct grammar and with correct spelling. But at the moment, a bunch of people try to basically go separate these two components completely. So basically have an LLM which only has the <clears throat> linguistic knowledge to construct new sentences and basically have an additional system which stores the facts. And RAG could be is this thing that's at the moment used to recollect facts and add them into the model. But I think it's probably impossible to truly separate out those two. The motivation basically for separating this two is that knowledge over time gets outdated and it's also not always like everything depends on the perspective. So different fields have different uh, knowledge, have different perspective on things and also interpret things in a different way. So you have to have a more nuanced approach to storing information and facts that can be updated over time, which is just impractical to do with yeah, so there are a couple of things that spring to mind here. You have, could, could you think of this when you transfer kind of the knowledge or the linguistic knowledge from a parametric memory to a non-parametric memory, could you think of this as some sort of transfer learning, which is a term that other people might be familiar with here? Or is it, would you say it's distinct from this? It's distinct. So transfer learning, basically, you try to transfer the knowledge from an existing model, which is stored in its parameters, to another model by also adjusting its parameters. So it's still parametric memory. This is basically up using the nature of LLMs that it can use textual data by just inserting additional stuff into the input of the LLM. By and what are the facts here and that you were talking about? Like what facts are it are there that are stored and can be, let's say, shared or transferred to let to the new non-parametric memory? Yeah. So basically when you're looking at a rack, you have a vector database, which is basically a storage for vectors um, and in this sense the vectors are embedded documents and just imagine documents being for example wikipedia pages is the examples they're using in this paper and you're basically embedding the different uh, wikipedia pages into a vector database and then using the user query to retrieve it um, and by using embeddings you can do calculations on these former documents by first using an embedding model to embed the query. Then you have one vector and you already embedded all the different documents. So they are also in vector form. And then you can calculate their similarity by using mostly something called cosine similarity, which basically measures how similar they are in terms of the and the query the here from another them. user in order to retrieve this information would be something in the similar realm of what has been transferred from memory to memory in a sense. So like you want to ask it about, I don't know, a specific Wikipedia page about a, I don't know, a certain country or something like this. 
Yeah, exactly. And in this paper, they have, they basically set up the entire pipeline and train two different components on their data set. So you still basically have input outputs. The input in this case is a question. So for example, was Barack Obama born in Hawaii or something like that? And you have an answer and they have a data set of correct question answer pairs, but they added before the generation. So before feeding it into the LLM, they added a retrieval, um, which is basically a query encoder, uh, which embeds the query of the user and then a retriever, which retrieves the document, which are most similar to the user query. So. In the best case, Wikipedia pages, which have information about Barack Obama and Hawaii probably. And then these retrieve documents are fed into the generator together with the original query to generate an answer. And by fine tuning it, they basically fine tune two components. On one, the generator, so the large language model, but also the query encoder. So they basically on the one side teach the query encoder to embed the, the user query better um, by assuming that the model generates the correct answer if it has been given the correct documents. Yeah. And is there, is there something that can be said about the models themselves that they use, like the model architecture? This is, I mean, this is a paper from 2021, but is there a specific choice of theirs that, that to you stands out? Yeah, so they use the BIRD, uh, which is a fairly basic model at the moment. It's by encoder architecture and a BIRD is basically it can be used for nearly everything, uh, which makes it fairly robust. And I think they chose more of a smaller model for today's standard, but also a really common model to just showcase how well it performs. Um, and architecture wise, it's nothing special in the end. Yeah, they, they also have some tables here in the middle of the paper that are quite interesting. I'm not sure if you had the chance to take a look at them, but like table three really highlights what example from generation tasks and rack then like models generate more specific and factually accurate responses is kind of their takeaway here in the results section. And um yeah, there are some fun, what, what you highlighted, for example, uh, let's say the president, like where they're from was over like that. And you can just see like, okay, which ones are properly generated or like what, what models work well on these sort of examples here. Like what do they have here? Um, Jeopardy question generation and the input is Washington. So one model says, this state has the largest number of counties in the U.S. It's the other model says it's the only U.S. state named for or for or after a U.S. president. So that one is a bit more, gives you a bit more information. And that's one of the RAG models themselves. So, but it's a, yeah, it's a quite fun read, I would say. 
Yeah. And what they did is they fine-tuned, or they have two different approaches in the model training, but also in the inference, which is for one a sequence model and for one a token model. In the sequence model, they basically do a basic rag. So you have the user query, you embed the query, you retrieve a few documents, you add the documents to the query, and then you do a generation. In the token model, they do something slightly different. So basically, you take the user query, you embed it, retrieve a document, then generate the next token. But after you generated the next token, you re-embed the new output, which is basically the user query, plus the first token you already have, and do a new retrieval. Um, and this is supposed to, over time, as the model is generating new tokens, new words, and entire sentences, um, retrieve new documents which are relevant for the new pieces of text. So if it's writing, for example, about Barack Obama growing up in, in Hawaii, it probably first starts at just retrieving basic information on Barack Obama. As we turn more towards the Hawaii part, it also can consider this new context and retrieve documents which have more information yeah, exactly. about Hawaii. Maybe let's rewind a bit and talk about the separation challenge here, what you talked about a bit in the beginning. So, you know, separating these sort of memories, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what, what do you think is the current, or what do you know to be the current state of the art? And what do you, where do you think it's headed? That's, that's a loaded question. So the, there are like two sides of the field. I think one is like relying really heavily on LLMs and trusting their outputs. And one is really seeing the problem in LLMs that they are not knowledge bases. Rather that they are like probabilistic models, which encode linguistic knowledge. Uh, we should focus more on actually the language understanding and generation and common sense knowledge. So basically having a model of the world, but not on the factual world knowledge and other components. So they, if you, if you have like a brain metaphor, you basically have different components of the brain and the different components are basically responsible for different things. So there are some for language understanding, some for language generation, some for, um, storing like information like episodic memory but also other stuff some for storing like more the mental model components and they basically propose to separating them and using llms mostly for actually the world models and the language understanding and generation and the the researcher who is really known for that is uh, thomas dieterich um if someone wants to to check him out and he already has some suggestions on how to set it up and basically how to solve it, which is basically combining the, an LLM which, with a graph database. And a graph database just has the required richness to really represent a lot of factual information and also nuanced information. So basically, if there is conflicting information, a, a graph database also can reflect that and combining that with an LLM. But this would have, have to be tested like really thoroughly, whether it works in a production or real setting when you separate it out and train it end to end. Yeah. So 
why do you think what why do you think like maybe a basic question but why do you think that meta in this case or fair ai research lab is looking in like what do you think is their motivation to to work on this in general this is of course a very broad question like it kind of encapsulates the whole nlp area itself but i mean they they just have to like the thing is why I'm asking is because they're so, they they're doing so much in many different areas, both like computer vision, 3D reconstruction, um, NLP, all all of these sort of things. Um, but what do you think they are targeting with their work here in the NLP domain? Yeah, um, I think they focus more on the applied side, so most people who are building with LLMs won't be doing this research-heavy stuff where you care about actually separating these two components. They are mostly users of the existing stuff that's already out there. And these are the closed-source models and also the open-source models, like, for example, a Llama also by Meta. And they only care about, like, how I get the most performance basically on what's out there and apply it to a real world problem. And a rag often is a good way to boost the performance of a large language model because you can avoid like, you can forego a little bit the hallucination issues that it's just hallucinating stuff where it doesn't have any information on or, or where it's just having like wrong facts in its memory. So basically, for example, the president of the United States is an example. Because it's changing over time, it doesn't have to be reflected in its training data because the training data is basically stationary uh, up to a fixed point, and basically it doesn't have that information yet. And a rack can avoid those problems to an extent. And I think for them, this paper is just like an addition, like more on the practical side, um, for how to improve the performance. Also, maybe as a homework for us and for people who are just interested, I mean, NeurIPS basically took place this week and I'm sure that Meta had a lot of new cool papers out there that should be, you know, checked out because, I mean, these are really state-of-the-art papers here, so we will have to check them out as well. Is there, um, I don't know, what, what do you think they have been working on lately? Meta? Yeah, Meta, yeah. In the LLM space, I think at the moment they are mostly looking at integrating multi-modality natively, like what Google is doing, because most of the papers by Facebook, wherever on the side, they are combining different models they already have into like a multi-model chain, but there is no like multi-model native training, how Google calls it, so basically training it from the get-go with interleaved training data, like interleaved images, audio, and text, which apparently gave a little bit of a performance boost. Yeah, I think that's yeah, like we'll, the major... I mean, we'll just have to check out the papers because there are a lot of upcoming conferences now in the next half year that, that will be, I, th I think, quite cool to at least keep an eye out on. For example, there's the... Uh, what is it now in January? Isn't it the ICRL? as a representation learnings, and then it's the AAAI uh, conference, CBPR, all of these uh, coming out now. So let's keep up to date with those. But I think there's something that we should mention more about the paper, yeah. 
No, I, I think, think we did. Um, so yeah, we'll be back soon again with uh, new topics, new industry topics, new tools, and new papers to look out for. Everyone stay tuned and see you soon. See you soon, buddy.